Hello and welcome. I'm your host Pooja Sarkar and you're listening to the podcast from the bookshelf of Forbes India. Today we are going to discuss a very interesting book that has come our way. It's called India Unlimited: Reclaiming the Lost Glory by Dr. Arvind Panagaria. Uh Dr. Panagaria needs no introduction. He served as the first vice chairman of the Niti Aayog and of course he's written some 15 books before this and he's also been awarded the Padma Bhushan and he's now gone back to teaching at Columbia University. I have with me Dr. Panagaria today to talk us about the book. Why did he really decide to write the book? What what are the key takeaways from it and what does he really want people to understand from this entire book dr panagriya thank you so much for coming on our podcast and giving us your time my pleasure to be with you pooja thank you uh, i'll start with with the book starts you talk about the growth and productivity are dependent on economic policies and you have outlined a lot of reforms in your entire book which is divided into various portions you talk about economy then you go on to manufacturing then to banking etc so i'll come on them one by one but first if you could tell our listeners india share in the global gdp fell from some 16% in 1820 to just 4.2% by the time british had left in 1947 what has happened in the last period and what is really happening now if you could take the listeners through it certainly so so you know first the title itself uh india unlimited reclaiming the lost glory so what is the lost glory uh well if we go back in the first millennium uh india was the largest economy in the world uh with about a 30% share uh, in it um subsequently also almost until about 1500 ce um india remained about the largest economy of the world and then china became a bit larger than india uh, but together you know until 1820 these two economies were accounting for 50% of the global gdp uh, and so this is the sort of you know lost glory what happened then was uh, uh, as far as india was concerned the british took over and all the policies uh, all the british were geared to the interest of uh, uh, great britain uh, and uh, not uh, to the interests of india uh, that led to of course uh, uh, either no growth or extremely little uh, uh, extremely limited growth uh, if at all um that was one thing but the bigger thing that happened was also the industrial revolution whose central gravity was in europe uh and subsequently the united states uh and and that of course uh, shifted the relative gdp towards uh, the western countries and so that is how this decline in the share uh, of the indian economy from something like 16% in 1820 uh to you know little over 4% uh, happened uh, by the independence of india yeah and so you know so so the lost glory and 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 then uh, of course about the india unlimited uh so so the book is about saying that look you know india is uh, uh, now today very well positioned uh, uh, to regain that lost glory uh, we are already about 2.6 2.7 trillion dollar economy and uh, uh if we do the right things within the next 10 years we can become the third largest so we begin to get there already we'll still not be you know uh, we'll still perhaps be only uh 6 7 trillion dollar uh, but uh, if we maintain good policies uh, uh, easily we can grow 8 to 9% uh, uh, for 2 to 3 decades 
and then we begin to be very large uh, globally as well. Uh, so this is the, in the unlimited part of the title uh, that you know the the, uh, um, the 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 potential of India is practically unlimited. Mm -hmm. But this coming to the part you know where the book starts and you talk about you know agni reforms and you have given examples about south korea taiwan or the other southeast asian economies which really boomed over the last three decades where india couldn't really catch up with it and you talk about how share of agriculture declines uh, i mean the gdp as per gdp as per capita income grows up now you also given the example of how Karnataka has been able to do, you know, marketing reforms, but yet it had to give a farm loan wa wa waiver of nearly 3,400 crores in 2018. So if you could take us through this entire reform that the agriculture really needs, because, you know, uh, if we go down to villages and you, before the elections, I took a tour in UP and we spoke to villagers and villagers are really struggling when it comes to making money. And you also substantiate in the pack, in the, book with the fact that you know smaller marginal labors uh, we need scale when it comes to even when it is about agriculture if you could take us to this entire agriculture reform that you are talking about okay so so let me outline you know the, a little bit of, of what the what the general theme of the book is um, what we observe both in agriculture as well as industry and services is that the units the economic operational units in India, uh, whether it is farming or it is industry or services, are extremely small. So take first of all agriculture. Uh, there are some 146 million farm holdings um, or land holdings as they are called in India. Uh, this is as per the agricultural census of 2015-16. Uh, uh, of these, 70 million, or almost 48% therefore, are only less than half hectare. In fact, the, if you take the average size of the holdings, these 70 million holdings, which are all smaller than half hectare, it is only 0.23 hectare, which means smaller than the average size of 70 million Indian land holdings is only less than a quarter hectare. Now, these are very small farms. So on average, I calculate for the year 2017-18, the income you are generating uh, on these very small farms uh, is about 41,000 rupees per year. This is in, in current rupees. Uh, now, you know, if, if it's a family of five, uh, that gives you some 21, 22 rupees per person per day. Uh, which is uh, significantly below even our very modest poverty line. So, you know, with, with these very small holdings, uh, farmers really can't go very far. Uh, and, 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 and this is why, you see, we continue to see farm distress. Uh, we have tried to do many different things. Uh, but, you know, when the incomes are so low to begin with, uh, and remember that we have been, you know, independent for 70 years. So what the story we are now telling today is after 70 years of independence and uh, efforts to make things better. So things have improved. There is no doubt poverty has declined and that is well documented. Uh, but still the income levels remain very low. Uh, and so, you know, even when we double that, 
it's not just enough. You know, it's certainly not going to make them prosperous. It 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 will probably uh, give subsistence income and a little better than subsistence income, but it doesn't translate into prosperity. And this is why the pitch is that look, you know, ultimately, uh, while reforms will help in agriculture, uh, which I will mention in a minute. Um, we can't bring prosperity to the farmers uh, as long as as many as 44% of our workers uh, remain uh, in farming. Now today, you know, so, so just to give you a quick breakdown of where our workers are, 44% are in agriculture, 42% are in, indus in industry and services uh, uh, firms that are less than 20 workers. So, you know, another 42%. So therefore, you know, you got uh, uh, practically self-employed, 44% in farming. Then you got, uh, or, you know, on very low wage uh, uh, employment. Uh, likewise, another 42% uh, in companies that are less than 40, uh, less than 20 workers. Uh, again, very low productivity, very low wage work uh, 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 employment. Uh, so that's already 86% of the workforce. Only 9% of India's workforce is known to be working in companies that are more than 20 workers. And even 20 workers really is not a very large size, you know. So, so we, we are a nation of very small kind of, you know, both in farming and, and in uh, yeah, industry and services. Uh, and so the pitch of the book, that is the theme that India needs more medium and large firms, uh, in, especially in the labor intensive sectors such as apparel, footwear, furniture, kitchenware lot of other light manufacturers. That's the sort of underlying theme and, and the reforms that I spell out are all about uh, uh, bringing a larger number of medium and uh, 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 large firms into existence. Now, quickly, the reforms that we need in agriculture, marketing reforms, that's clearly one, one area where uh, uh, perhaps farmers do not get enough share uh, in uh, uh, the farm uh, uh, output. Uh, so marketing reforms have, are all about giving larger value uh, of what they produce to the farmers themselves. Uh, then there are uh, reforms related to productivity enhancement, uh, meaning increasing output uh, uh, per acre or per hectare. This has to do with technology, uh, irrigation, uh, 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 GMO seeds, uh, 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 better use of pesticides, uh, better information to farmers, anything that will raise productivity. Uh, and uh, um, then, you know, there is issues of diversification uh, that can we take farmers into high value uh, uh, products within agriculture. Uh, uh, and, and that, uh, uh, you know, in, in sectors such as fisheries, for example, uh, uh, animal husbandry, uh, fruits and vegetables. Uh, so, so these are sort of high value products. Uh, uh, so some diversification might, might help as well. So those are the areas uh, uh, within agriculture. Uh, but the pitch of the book really is that, look, you know, uh, uh, you can uh, improve the farmer's uh, uh, situation uh, some bit uh, with these reforms, but you cannot make them prosperous without, uh, uh, you know, over the next 10 to 20 years, taking about half of the current uh, uh, workforce uh, uh, of uh, agriculture out of agriculture. So you need to give these very small farmers, the, the, you know, farmers who are 
operating these 70 million very, very small uh, uh, farm uh, uh, or land holdings, uh, you need to give them an exit out to industry and services. And for that, you need the emergence of these medium and large firms uh, to which workers can then begin to migrate out of first, you know, you have to have the migration uh, of the workers who are already in industry and services into these medium and larger firms uh, that will tighten the labor market for uh, the uh, uh, smaller firms as well. And that will, of course, improve their efficiency, improve their wages. That will then pave the way for the farmers also to migrate to some of the uh, jobs in industry and services. In your book, you talk about that, you know, how bulk of India's non-agricultural workforce is still stuck in low productivity enterprises or, you know, these are smaller enterprises. There is wage is also a problem. They are literally on the bottom rung of the ladder and the kind and they're really not skilled kind of. Uh, even if I have to take a farmer away from his farmland in today's time and I have to instill them in a manufacturing capacity, uh, how th these are mostly people who are really unskilled or very less skilled. How is the government going to tackle with the problem of moving this entire economy? I mean, moving this entire workforce economy from agriculture to this set of manufacturing and industries and services sector. Because if we see even here, the numbers are really very low when it comes to earnings. Right. Very true. Very true. And this is why. So, so you know, the, the, uh, uh, my, in my thinking, government really doesn't have to actually be the one moving the workers. Uh, mm -hmm. What the government has to do is to improve the ecosystem, uh, do the economic reforms that will change the e existing ecosystem. And, and that ecosystem itself will then begin to create good jobs uh, for the workers which are uh, low skilled uh, uh, or unskilled. Uh, and the workers will then choose to move. Uh, you know, migration really is a voluntary phenomenon. Uh, it is the opportunities uh, that move workers, right? You know, when, when workers find that, look, you know, I can make three to four times of the income uh, uh, by migrating from my rural employment in agriculture to <coughs> industry and services, uh, then they will move themselves. So that's the first point to remember. Now, as far as skills are concerned, again, I really think that the skills have to be acquired on the job. And uh, uh, firms that employ the workers eventually benefit from the work that these workers do. Therefore, they have an incentive to train their workers. <coughs> and so, uh, take for example, you know, I, uh, my favorite uh, sector for such employment is the apparel sector. <coughs> now, apparel sector has enormous potential. Uh, you know, uh, at the, even the, at the current level, the export market is some, you know, seven to eight hundred billion dollars worth, or some very large, you know, very large volume. We or to capture that market. Uh, now, I've spoken to, for example, our largest exporter uh, from India, it's Shahi Exports, and uh, Mr. Harish Aujja uh, is the uh, um, uh, owner of that enterprise. And he says that, look, you know, uh, uh, if I take a worker who has about fifth or sixth grade level of uh, uh, education, I can train that worker into very gainful employment in about six weeks' time. Uh, and uh, uh, that gets him, you know, something close to 12, 13,000, 15,000 rupees per month. 
so that's the kind of employment I'm talking about. Similarly, making shows, uh, being employed in uh, furniture industry. Uh, this is where workers can be trained relatively uh, 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 quickly uh, at limited cost, and the firms themselves can do it. Uh, uh, again, in services sector, clearly, you know, a lot of drivers are needed, uh, mechanics are needed, um, plumbers are needed, uh, you know, mechanics who repair refrigerators uh, uh, or, or air conditioning and so forth, all kinds of appliances. So there's a lot of scope uh, and, and, and firms can train them. Uh, and, and the training is not overly costly. So therefore, it, you know, it's, it's, it, this is how it's doable. But as long as our firms remain very, very small, uh, then this process doesn't work very well. Uh, we need some of the employment move to medium and larger firms in, in, in these sectors. And, and that would change the whole ecosystem. Uh, uh, it would create competition for smaller firms. Uh, it will also tighten the labor market. Uh, and uh, uh, that will force them, of course, to raise productivity as well. So, so that is, you know, and, and a whole host of such reforms have to be done. Now, one of the very important components of uh, uh, the transformation has to be capturing the export markets on a much larger scale. Now, you cannot capture the export markets if you are populated almost entirely by very small firms. By nature, small firms sell, you know, in a very uh, 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 localized market. It is the medium and large firms uh, which are going to look to the export markets. Uh, and, and, and that is what we need to do. And once, you know, you begin to really uh, benchmark yourself to the world quality of the products, uh, you realize that you've got to compete in that immensely competitive uh, uh, market in the global economy. Uh, the uh, productivity will have to be raised, uh, the costs will have to be brought down, uh, and, and that is how uh, you would uh, begin uh, to, to create good jobs for, for the workers. There's one interesting thing that I really wanted to ask you. One, um, when I was reading the book, it talks about N. Mondrega, the scheme where, you know, uh, the government had, uh, the UK government had brought in the scheme where uh, people who are farmers who have lean seasons could go and find some work, but it has been a it has been used in a far wrong way if we see over the over the last few years. And the second thing being you talk about how uh, there's this entire topic that you have in the book which talks about does rising protectionism pose a threat to export-led growth where you talk about you know how India could really benefit at this point in time because wages in China on an average is three times higher than India that there's a trade war that's happening between China and United States and this India has a huge scope to actually get a lot of these larger manufacturing companies to India uh, if you could just take me through these uh, topics Right. No, so, so this is really, you know, so uh, we can come back to Narega. That's a separate subject, uh, um, uh, related but separate. Um, now, on, 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 on this aspect, this is really our big opportunity right now. Uh, so, you know, already because of the U.S.-China trade war, as well as this uh, uh, massive rise in the wages in, in China over the last 15 years or so, uh, uh, China has to start exiting. It's already doing it, actually. So I shouldn't say start, but it has been exiting uh, several of these export industries. 
Um, apparel, uh, that is the clothing exports, uh, they used to be somewhere under $180 billion by China, um, only say f less than four years ago. Today, they have dropped to about close to $150 billion. Uh, and similar changes are occurring in other areas. Uh, uh, and, and, and that opens the market uh, uh, for capture by the other countries. Uh, and, and that is where we, I think, uh, you know, globally, we are the only very large country which has the kind of workforce that is required uh, to really replace China as the uh, so-called sort of the, you know, the manufacturing uh, uh, factory of the world. Um, and, and so uh, uh, what we ought to do uh, is to, uh, uh, you know, rejig our policies uh, such that the large number of these uh, multinationals which are now leaving China and, you know, the, the recent, the current crisis of uh, uh, the coronavirus is, is uh, again reinforcing that process, you know, uh, uh, the firms are going to now reassess again that whether China is the right location for them uh, to supply the rest of the world. Uh, and, and so they will be looking for alternative locations. So again, you know, it opens for India a great opportunity. Uh, uh, and and, and uh, so I had, you know, mooted this idea of uh, autonomous employment zones that, you know, on, particularly near the coast uh, where we got good ports, you know, the deep dredge ports. Uh, somewhere around there, you know, you take out areas of 200 to 300 or even 500 square kilometers uh, and uh, create fantastically good uh, um, economic policy environment there. You know, flexible labor laws, flexible land laws, um, uh, uh, the, the easy movement of goods uh, uh, in and out of the country. Uh, this is trade facilitation. Uh, we do that. These are the zones into which we can then try to bring these uh, very large uh, multinationals which are leaving China currently. Uh, that would really start a huge process, you know, and, and the big advantage of, of doing it in, this, in that way is that these multinationals bring their own capital, they bring their own technology, they bring their own very good management, uh, state-of-the-art uh, global management practices, and above everything else, they bring the links to the global markets. Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, unlike firms which have not exported before, uh, uh, they actually know what the export markets are. Uh, they can link us then uh, in a variety of different products that they produce uh, to the global economy. Uh, and that then can gradually build up the linkages to the internal economy. And so they can then also pull in uh, as, uh, many of our efficient firms uh, into this process. Uh, and our efficient firms, particularly the medium or, and small ones, can become ancillaries to these larger multinational firms and so forth. So, so that is the kind of conception I've had uh, for, for the last few years, that this is what we ought to try to do. Great. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Thank you so much for being on our show. Our conversation is divided into two parts, as you will understand, because of the outbreak of Corona. Things are taking time uh, to get processed. So we are dividing our podcast into two parts. It will be uh, the first series will be played out on this Wednesday and the next series will be played out soon after. We are hoping not to delay it. But this is our sincere request from our podcast that you listen to both the parts separately and come back to listen to our podcast once again next Wednesday. We 
hope you really enjoyed it thank you so much for being a part of our journey and stay safe stay home take care